few. We're starting chapter 15. So we, last week, we spoke about the symbolism. We spoke about chapter 14. I was arguing the symbolism of chapter 14, I was suggesting, was really the foreshadowing of who Shimshon is and what his life is all about. There is this battle with this lion. Um, and in defeating this lion, right, which certainly shows his strength, but what ultimately happens in that lion, where we have the beehive that develops in the lion, something which is certainly odd. He sees this as a sign of God. He used this as part of his riddle. But again, what we were suggesting was that it also is representative of him. There is this brew. There is this very powerful lion of sorts, and inside there's something hidden, right? That is really the story of Shimshon, where you have someone who on face value is one thing, and then there's something very sweet or holy that is hidden away inside of it, or at least that is one legitimate perspective which we're kind of developing as, as we go through and still being open to different possibilities, right? So that, that was the symbolism I suggested, perhaps, the symbolism between, behind the lion and the honey. Um, and one more thing, we also talked about the fact that we're going to continuously try to pass judgment on Shimshon from beginning to end. So we spend some time doing that in the 14th chapter, seeing each passage good or bad? Do we see him as, again, just this senseless brute? Um, or is there something else going on? Is there something else at play? Um, and we'll continue to try to make that analysis in the 15th chapter. So just to review the storyline itself, if you recall, in the 14th chapter, he marries a Pelishti woman um, during the Sheva Bracha. Then he, and he has this riddle that he poses to the Pelishti friends that he makes. And he eventually goes ahead and um, she spills the beans. She gets it from him. And so he ends up killing a couple of people um, and storms off and leaves her behind. Okay, now the last passage we learned that the father does wait um, for Shimshon to come back and basically gives her over to somebody else. Um, and that's where we left off. Okay, so his wife, again, they never were formally divorced or anything, anything of that nature. His wife is given over to another person. So let's begin on chapter 15, page 622 in our <coughs> version of the Tanakh. So, Vahimi Yamim, it was many days later. We're not sure how long. Miyamim just implies days, but implication of a significant amount of days. Bimei Kitzir Chitim, it was the time of the harvest. Vayifkot Shimshon is Ishto Bigdi Izim. And he... It seems like if code sometimes it usually has a connotation of intimacy. So over here it means that he attempted to be intimate with his wife through a goat. And what that means, he basically, it's an ancient uh, form of flowers, okay? Uh, you know, or, you know, something of that nature. Basically, it's like, oh, here, honey, I bought you a goat and, you know, let's, let's get together, okay? So that's basically comes back with this goat, um, bringing it to his wife. Vayomer, and he says to himself, Avoa alishti hachadra, I'm going to go to my wife in the room. Again, and there's this, again, this very off-putting way of speech. You know, when he speaks again, it's like that, that image of him walking with the honey in his hands. I mean, now it's even more just, again, not refined, right? It's very unrefined. This, I'm going to go to my wife in the room. Just, there's other ways of saying things, okay? But she, she's married to someone else, though? She's living with someone else. I mean, okay. Yes, her father gave her over to someone else to be... She's living with someone else because she's not divorced. She, correct, that's what I'm saying. I Meaning, okay. there's no she's with formal divorce. She's, she's living with someone else, okay. exactly. And so, she's Jewish. According, right, according, right, good point, right? So we spoke about this last week. According to our tradition, she is actually converted. Best type of conversion? Maybe not, but she's converted, right? She's and so that would make her Jewish, in which case, and right? And, well... Not I'm really. That no, not really. Because it's, uh, it's only if she would. I'm not sure if that would impact it. It's all true if I'm not Jew. Anyway, we'll leave it at that. Bottom line is, it's as you'll see, 
it's somewhat parenthetical to, I mean, it's not parenthetical, it's important. Bottom line is she is doing something wrong, even though he waited quite some time. But at the end of the day, they're married and now she's living with someone else. Whether halachically, not halachically, bottom line is, as far as he's concerned, he stormed off, which was not the best thing to do, but they're still married, okay? So therefore, the father obviously doesn't allow him to come. Now, let's just remember that what, how this passage begins. We are told it's been made kitzir chitim. Okay, so what is the climate at the time of harvesting? Cold, warm, hot. At the time of harvesting, it's warm. It's usually hot, right? It's warm, yeah. hot, right? Exactly. So it's a pretty hot time in Israel, right? And that's how the passage begins, which kind of makes you think. Um, it's interesting how, how, how it's phrased, right? In other words, the story could have started with Vayifko Shimshon Asishto, okay? And then later on tells us about the season. The fact that it starts the harvest season seems to tell us that the harvest season has something to do with what is well, actually, what he's about to do. Is, is wheat in the summer or is wheat in the winter? Um, I believe in Israel. I'm just gonna, you know, wheat, you know. <coughs> the bu- something co- called winter wheat. Oh, right. okay. Is the com- that beer? The, that might be a <laughs> <laughs> The commentators <laughs> seem to assume it's the hot season. The, the commentators all assume it's the hot season. Okay? So, the, one thing we have to ask yourself, is the Torah just laying out the background, or is it telling us what's driving Shimshon to do this? Okay, and let's keep that in mind as we read this next Pasuk. So, Vayomer Aviha, her father says, Amar Omarti Kisano Sanesa He says, listen, I, I, I thought that you hated her, and therefore I gave her over to one of your friends, peers. Halo achosak tana tova mimena, tihina lecha tachteha. The younger sister, she has a younger sister, why don't you marry her? She's much better. She's much what, more whatever. And therefore, you should marry her. Fine. So he's basically trying. He, he did something wrong. He kind of recognizes that. And he's trying to figure out an alternative path. So Shimshon. So Shimshon says to them, um, He says, this time I'm going to be clean from the polishta, meaning I'm, I'm not guilty for what I'm about to do. I'm going to do something bad, but I'm going to be innocent in doing so, because the polishtim did something to me. This is Meaning, father-in-law, not the whole nation. Good question. Good question. I mean, right? This what ultimately... Lahem? I mean, Lahem is a good question, which I actually didn't notice until right now. Um, and I don't know who the they is over here. Um, it's not so clear. But, it's, but presumably, and I think this kind of goes back to what we were talking about before. Let's, let's do a quick review. Two and a half options. Shimshon is just a nut. Okay? We could say, I mean, just a crazy, strong, wild person, a wild man, okay? Alternatively, we did see an approach, which many of the classic commentators take, that he is doing something extremely strategic. He recognizes that a frontal attack will go nowhere because the Jewish people are not strong enough, and if they start attacking, then the Palestinians will start attacking back. Again, the example, the, the Kristallnacht example, right? You kill one person, we're going to start wiping out, you know, everybody. We're going to take it out all the Jews, and the fact is the Palestinians were much stronger than the Jews at this point, and they are throughout Jim Shon's entire life. So the, the strategy, according to the second approach, is that Shimshon goes ahead and engages in different acts which seem personal, and in doing so, he makes it very clear that it's personal, quote unquote, right? And in doing so, the Palishtim say, okay, well, it's a personal vendetta. We really can't take it out on all the Jews because it's clearly just about Shimshon, right? So Shimshon engages in different things which create a, re, create a facade or create some fiction that he's doing fighting this personal battle, but really what he's doing is trying to fight the Palishti in his own personal way, in a way of protecting the Jews, 
but still attacking the Pelishtim. If he's seen as the warrior of the Jews, then he'll never get away with it, right? That was approach number two um, in understanding what he's doing. Those are the two classic approaches. We pointed out that there's like perhaps something a little bit more to that second approach, some messianism, which we'll, we'll come back to, which there are different allusions to, um, which... Again, we'll come back to when we complete Shimshon, but something which is alluded to throughout, some messianic tinge to all of this, okay? We'll see a little bit more of that today, okay? So if we take that second approach, then you're right. Um, it's, it's true. This is really, it's not about all the Pelishtim, but Shimshon is trying to construct something where it looks like it's a personal vendetta. So the Lahem presumably would mean that he's making some form of a public statement. He's not just speaking to him. He walks around and marches around and says, now I'm going to do something to, to this group of people, right? They're, they're all bad, right? Meaning, obviously, he's um, stereotyping, which you'd understand, this outsider, basically this Jewish person who wants to have what to do with the Pelishtim, and now he's saying, well, all the Pelishtim are bad. Again, obviously not the right thing to do, but he's, it's a facade, right? He's basically just making something up. He's finding an excuse to be able to go ahead and t- attack them all. Uh, or, yeah, I'm just thinking this through. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, he, here's this woman who is clearly, like, she was married to Shimshon. And then, like, she's now living publicly in sin with this other dude in the middle of town. And he's like, you guys are all condoning that. Like, you guys all are terrible. Excellent. Good, 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 good. We'll come back to this. So, meaning, meaning maybe there is something. It's not just that he's going to go and attack Polishnin, but they allow this. Excellent point. So, we'll come, we'll come back to that exact point. Good. Um, so... Goes and does the following. He captures 300 fox, okay, which is probably not a very easy thing to do. Uh, they're known to be clever animals, right? Okay. And he finds torches. And he ties them tail to tail, okay? Okay, I don't know exactly what this looks like. I mean, we could try to, uh, but again, takes their tails and somehow wraps a form of a torch in between the tails. And it has the fox um, kind of holding the, 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 the torch in between the both of them. Okay. Now, um, why does he use... So, and, and his goal is, as we'll see, is he's going to have these foxes, try to send these foxes to, um, to the Polishti grain and burn it all down. Right? And again, if it's it's a hot time, you'd imagine, right? In Israel, this unfortunately has been happening a lot recently. It's a hot time. So it's extremely flammable, right? A little bit of fire goes a long way, and there's a lot of fire. There's 300 foxes running around with fire. Now, um, it's a pretty strange way of going about it, which, once again, either because he is a strange person, or because he is also, perhaps, again, trying to pretend to be this very strange person. One way or another, we can understand him doing this. But why foxes? Any thoughts? Anyone know anything about foxes? Yeah? From when Rabbi Kiva left. Good. Interesting. Right. So it's interesting. We don't have too There's not too much mention of foxes in the, in the Torah. Uh, one of them actually is, right? Uh, and, it's, and they see foxes running through the, the Temple Mount. And, um, and Rabbi Kiva, right? The, the sages cry. Rabbi Kiva laughs. And, but it's, it goes earlier. Rabbi Kiva says the reason I'm laughing is because there's a Pasuk that says that when foxes are going to walk through this, the base of Mikdash, it's actually going to be the turning of the tide, right? So I didn't see any commentators say that. I had a similar thought, and I wonder, again, there's certainly, and we'll be following, keeping track of messianic slash base of Mikdash allusions in the entire story of Shimshon. There's a lot. There's a lot. And we'll come back. There's one commentator who really develops that idea extensively, uh, Rav Tzadik HaKon, which we'll, we'll come back, you know, we'll be collecting that, that data as we go along. Another feature of foxes, there's nothing to do with anything Jewish, apparently foxes walk backwards. I don't know this, but the commentators all uh, state, and you can, you can Wikipedia, so I'm I sure. watch a lot of YouTube, like, animals. <laughs> My kids are like, let's watch, like, animals yeah. fighting. Like, all right. <laughs> and you never saw a fox do the moonwalk. 
I never saw that. <laughs> okay. Sorry? No, Fox and Barney are both straight, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're usually running away. That's true. So. They suggest the fo- that foxes walk backward, and so let's think that through. Let's, let's go with that for a second. The Redox says they walk backwards. He says because that makes a lot of sense, because if they a- actually run in different directions, only forward, then what happens? Eventually, they're going to just run apart from each other, and the torch is going to fall on the ground. We don't want that. So if they're, run- if they're able to move backwards easily... You tie a torch to their tail, they... Then, yeah, but, <laughs> right. So drawing the both of them, right, is just kind of funny, but basically... Right, that, that's absolutely true. That would be a simpler way of getting about this, but if they're running backwards, then the torch will stay firmly placed between their tails. Interesting. If you look in the Gemara, the Gemara suggests that the idea of a fox going backward, right, because at least one of them is going to be going backwards if they're going together, um, he suggests it's an allusion to someone retracting something. And they suggest that there is this deeper message over here, okay, and that is that who are the, the Pelishtim are descendants of a man named, or a nation, of Avimelech. Okay, what do we know from Avimelech? Not too long ago, right in the Torah? There's a peace treaty, exactly. There's a peace treaty with Avram. There's a peace treaty with Avram to the point that Yoshua, or to say just teach us, why doesn't Yoshua attack the Pelishtim when he comes to the land of Israel? Because there's a peace treaty. You cannot go against that peace treaty. By the way, where's one of the places that was controlled by the Pelishtim when Yoshua comes along? The Yerushalayim, exactly, the Besamikdash. Ding, let's put it in that box, right? But there's certainly a lot there in terms of getting rid of the Pelishtim ultimately allows, paves the way for a base of Migdash, right? So just put that in our base of Migdash, Messianic. Yerushalayim or Harabais? I can't speak for all of Yerushalayim, but your Harabais area, certainly. Okay. Um, so they suggest that the idea is that it really is that, that your, uh, excuse me, that Shimsha was trying to represent this notion that, uh, that it's uh, Avimelech retr- um, kind of retracted his covenant, his, his promise, and therefore that's giving permission for Shimsha to do so. Okay, that's what they suggest is the, the deeper meaning of the fox. Let, let's go a little further. Okay, so the fire uh, burns on the torches and it goes against the grain and it goes from the different elements of the grain, the shock to the standing grain until the vineyards. Basically, everything is burnt down. And you have to also keep in mind this was a little reckless, to say the least, uh, not just because of the fire, but they're foxes, right? Now, how's he going to, is he a, like, a fox whisperer, how's he directing them to go in the right direction, right? Pelishtim live here, let's assume, by the southern border. Okay, they're very powerful. But they're also Jews who probably have some farms, right? Meaning, it's a, it's a, it's a wild move. And again, it's not troubling. Either he's trying, he's truly wild, or he's trying to act wild. But it's a very, you know, it's an ex- beyond extreme move on so many levels and doesn't seem so thought out. And again, maybe that's his intention, to make it seem haphazard and just... Insane, right? That could be. But we have to appreciate that it really does come across that way. This seems like a very uh, senseless, you know, just not, not thought out type of approach. It's one of the things in the Torah where I think is like one of the most far-fetched things out there, yet also completely possible. Like it doesn't, it's not that hard to explain it. I mean, like explain Chris Yopsov or like, you know, you're like, oh, like, you know, I know we went through it and all that, but like, this is something you're like, it's not, right. it's not miraculous. Right. I'm not right. suggesting it's supernatural. I'm just saying, if you're, if you're watching, if you're a Polishner and you're looking at this, like trying to understand this guy, Shimshon, like, what was he thinking? The guy caught 300 foxes and he completely like tied their tails together and he sent them into their fields and directed, like he's sending a message. But, that, that's for sure. But I'm just pointing out it's, it, it's a, it, on so many levels, it's just, it's a wild message. It just, Crazy. correct. Correct, and, and which could be his, you know, Superman glasses, like Clark Kent glasses. He's trying to act as crazy as possible. That could be what is going on over here. Or he's crazy. Or he's crazy, right? One of those right. two options, right? We have to keep on coming back to those right. two. Exactly. 
Okay, V'yomer Plishtimi Asazos, the Plishtim say, who did this? V'yomer Shimshon Chasan HaTimni, Shimshon, the son-in-law of the man from, from, from uh, Timni, Ki Lakach Es Ishto, Vayitna Lemiriyo, because the man went, the father-in-law went and took his wife and gave it to his friend, right? So it was this guy's fault. Vayalu Plishtim, Vayisrifo Osaves Avia Ba'ish. So the Plishtim go and they burn her and her father in fire. What are they doing? Simple explanation. They're trying to like uh, calm Shimshon down. And they're demonstrating that we're 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 taking care of this. We're doing what we're supposed to do, right? Why uh, do they leave out the guy? I mean, the the, the friend. Oh, the friends. It's an interesting question. Um, yeah, I threw him in the fire too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, yeah, it's a good question. It's a good question. That's a good question. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, okay. But it, very clearly, what do we see? Shimshon was successful. Again, well, if he's just wild, whatever. But if he's actually doing this as planned and trying to make it seem personal, well, now they're following suit, demonstrating, oh, it's a personal thing. Let's try to calm this crazy man down, and we're going to go ahead and kill the family. So Shimshon, the, the, the trick is still working. Okay, but you're a Shimshon. But Shimshon pulls a Shimshon. He says, Im tasun kazos, kimkamti vachem vaachar echdal. He says, if you do like this, and we have to see what like this is, I'm going to avenge against you, and after that, I'll stop. So what does this mean, if you do like this? So Rashi suggests, if I do like this means, to allow a married woman to marry someone else. Okay, he says, since you're doing this, you allow married woman, like you were, you were saying before, you allowed married woman to marry someone else in your society, how could that be? I have to go and punish you for it. Okay, that's how Rashi understands it. What's a little troubling about that is, isn't that the purpose of the last punishment, right? So the Malbim takes it a step, the Malbim understands it a little, rather differently. He says, the Malbim says like this, the Malbim says, what are you guys doing? If you really cared about it, then you would have done it a whole long time ago. The fact that you're doing it now means that you're just killing people for essentially no reason. Because if you really felt, meaning he's taking Rashi a step further, if you really felt like it was wrong for this immoral adultery or whatever you want to call it to take place, then you should have acted on it a while ago. Now you're going to go in and kill them? You're just a bunch of, if you do like this, you're a bunch of killers, I'm going to do the same thing to you, right? So basically Shimshon just turns the tables. Until now he's mad at his few, past, his wife and his father-in-law and he's <coughs> punishing them, okay? Now he's saying, well, I'm going to be mad at you for punishing my wife and my, and my, and my father-in-law. And you guys are a bunch of terrible people because if you really cared, you should have done this before. So obviously you don't really care about life and therefore... I don't care about yours. That's how the Malbim understands what we're watching over here. So basically, he's taking advantage on both sides, right? Punishing the, the wife and then punishing those who punish the wife. He's just trying to find excuses, according to that second approach, to punish the Palishtim. So let's see what he does. It's interesting this is, has a lot of allusions to what happened last week's parsha, Because Abimelech, Abraham, Abimelech takes Sarah. Right. It's his wife. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. And... There's this whole, you know, Abimelech says, whoa, and then uh, Abimelech says, why'd you do that? Why? And, I'm, well, I see that there's no Yerasa Lokim here. Hmm. That this is like a lawless society. Lost cause, right, so right, right. So it's in a little bit to what you were saying here. Like Shimshon's kind of saying here, you got the, you, this is a immoral society, you did this, but you're a, a lawless people. A little bit of a... Interesting, 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 right? It's, it's basically demonstrating, like, there's no, there are no rules right. over here, and right. which is very and much... And the same thing about the, the life being taken. Right. Interesting. Very interesting. Cool. Okay, very good, very good. Okay, um, let's see what he does. some shok al yarech He basically kills them <coughs> like thought. 
it's an expression of them essentially just falling over themselves. Okay, they're basically just completely falling over themselves. So he goes and he kills a good number of them. We don't know how many. And then he moves away seemingly from the family home and he settles in a place called Sela Eitam, essentially like a cave or a cliff in a cave uh, called, a cliff in a cave called uh, Sela Eitam, the rock of Eitam. He goes into hiding. Why? Because his family is now in danger. If he goes back home after doing all this, it's going to be a problem. So he goes away. He's afraid the police are going to harm him, harm his family. He hides and he stays on his own. Okay, we'll he see. He clearly can take care of himself. Why isn't he back to protect <coughs> So the commentary suggests that what he's doing over here is he can care for himself, but he cannot care for those who are going to be associated with him. So meaning his family, he therefore moves away from everyone, and therefore it's only him taking care of himself. They would be terrified. Like, who would go after his family? Like, oh, yeah. Well, we'll see in a second. They're going to go, they're, they're about to go over him. They're, yeah. they're going to about to go up. So they are going to go after him, so he wants to protect, again, taking that second approach, he's trying to protect, he's playing this unbelievable game, trying to protect as many people as possible. So, uh, let's see what, by the way, um, how does he survive there? So interestingly, Chazal, the Gemara tells us that there's a spring there in uh, Sela Eitzim, which kept him hydrated. The same Gemara says that later that same spring of water provides the water that's needed for the Beis HaMikdash. Okay, again, we'll put that away in our box, but again, all these Messianic, Beis HaMikdash, Davidic, typical, you know, more Malchus Beis David type ideas are popping up with Shimshon. Okay. So now the Pelishtim go and they camp around the tribe of Yehuda. Okay? Um, why the tribe of And they say, Ish Yehuda. And you, the people of Yehuda turn to the Pelishtim and they say, Lama Lisa Malenu. Why are you coming? Why are you encamping against us? We are going to go and uh, imprison Shimshon to do to him like he did to us. Chances are they weren't going to imprison him, but they're basically saying that we are here to capture Shimshon. Why do they go to the tribe of Yehuda? Uh, one of two reasons. One is this area, the Sela, is actually in the location of Yehuda. That's the most straightforward area. reason. Also, Yehuda is the de facto leader, typically, and that would be another reason why they go against Yehuda. But the first reason seems to be the most logical. They know he's in the region, and therefore they <laughs> gather around that region. Vayerdu shloshes alafim ish Yehuda. So 3,000 Soldiers from Yehuda go. They clearly know where he is, and they go to that rock. Don't you know that the Pelishtim are in charge over here? What are you doing to us? You're endangering us, right? It's a fair question. Like they did to me, I did to them. So what's this, this dialogue over here? And again, we're going to see the two approaches. One is there coming and they're asking him, like, what's wrong with you? And he's responding, well, they, were, they started up. Which is a very dumb answer, frankly, right? Meaning, the Pelishtim could, co- like, overthrow us and raise our cities, etc., etc. Well, they did it first. Okay, that, 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 which, which could be. Again, we're open to that possibility. Alternatively, the way the Malbim understands it, is he typically does reads a lot into the, the actual back and forth, um, and especially in light of his answer, he suggests that what the tribe of Yehuda was really asking him was the following <laughs> question. The, the million-dollar question, which we're trying to figure out. Are you fighting for yourself? In which case, what are you doing? Or was this really some guerrilla warfare of sorts? Were you really doing this to defend us, to help the Jewish people? Because it's, if it's the latter, if it's to defend the Jewish people, then we're here. Then we, we're going to fight. We're going to rally around you, right? Um, but if you're doing it for yourself, then you're endangering us. And, I mean, halakhically, you know, a person endangers somebody. Um, you, know, if they, you know, there's a lot of discussions historically. Yeah, people who did illegal things, uh, which were causing things which are against the local governments, right? And if they are causing 
uh, the, 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 the lives of the community to be endangered. So there's a lot of extensive discussion. These questions unfortunately came up a lot in our history. Are you allowed to turn that person over? Or do we have an obligation to protect them, right? Um, serious question. Halakhically, uh, you are allowed to turn this person over. If they are endangering, if they did something illegal, not just because, not if it's arbitrary, if they did something illegal, um, illegal. We'll stop there. Illegal according to the local civil government, assuming it's not singling out the Jewish people. Someone is doing something illegal, which is endangering all the Jewish people. They are, we are allowed to give such a person over. So there's this back and forth so over so here. Um, it, is there legitimacy to it? The answer is no. Um, I, I, my, my humble opinion. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I I, and a thousand. Yeah. Well, but that, that's the short answer. Okay. The answer is no. But yes. But but it's it follows under the. Yeah. Let's just leave it at that for now. Okay. But yeah, it's good. Good question. Um, so bottom line is halakhically, I mean that that you are, would be allowed to give it over. So what does Shimshon say? He says no. It's about me. Now. Approach number one, yeah, this is his silly answer, his dumb answer. I mean, whatever, yeah, it's about me, right? According to this more sophisticated answer, let's think about what's going on over here, right? This is, and, and again, we saw, if you recall, there was a terminology which was repeated twice in the last chapter. When Shimshon comes back, again, he says twice, he doesn't tell his parents about the honey hidden in the lion. And I'm suggesting then that it's not just that he doesn't tell them this, but it's also, it's, again, speaking to Shimshon doesn't tell them who he is and what he's up to, right? In other words, Shimshon's, try, Shimshon's trying to protect as many people as possible. And so similarly over here, for sure, he's not going to go and tell 3,000 people from Trav Yehuda. But you have to keep in mind then, like if we want to make this a little bit more realistic and put ourselves in his shoes for a second, of course, that second approach, like imagine the sense of the loneliness, I guess, right? I mean, everyone thinks he is either crazy, right? He is a sinner. He is, right? I, I, all these terrible things and nobody around him appreciates what he's doing. I mean, you talk about strength. It's not just the external strength, but there's this incredible internal strength as well to be able to keep that to himself. Maybe. maybe again, that's approach number two. Uh, yes, maybe. Meaning, according to the first approach, which, no, this is just him being, he's not an intelligent person. But yeah, according to that second approach, this is, speaks to a far greater strength than, than we normally you know, think of him having. It's not just that external strength, but he is also incredibly capable of holding on to this terrible feeling of loneliness that, that he must, I'm assuming, is experiencing. Okay? Let's go further. I have a question. Yeah. So he, so he slaughtered a great many people, and then, well, he killed the lion. So that, those tales have not traveled. So they, so the tribe of Yehuda, these 3,000 people, they don't know who they're talking to. Oh, they certainly do. 3,000 people? They're not sending 3,000 people to get me from anywhere. Meaning, they, no, they, they very much understand who they're talking to. Exactly. But, but they, what they don't know is why, right? That's what they're trying to figure out. What they're trying to figure out is what's your agenda? Is this, is this to save us? In which case, we're going to back off over here. Maybe we'll help you, but we're certainly not going to turn you over. But if it's about you, then you're, you're getting us all in trouble over here. I mean, they, do, they certainly know about him. But, now, and, but until now, they've been able to look the other way. It hasn't impacted them one way or another. Whether it was done for and this miraculous strength doesn't oh, oh, in that regard, sorry, that God is with him. How does it? How do you explain that? I mean, right. Well, let's keep in mind until this point, there's almost like a development of miracles, right? The lion, nobody knows about. So let's move right. that out of the way. The 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 wait, next. What do you mean nobody? 
Well, the lion was something only he knew about, that he oh, killed he the lion by hand. He didn't tell anybody. Right. No one knows yeah. about that. Then next he miracle, just... he kills 30 people. Okay, okay. It's, it's pretty good. Um, yeah. right? The next, the, the foxes, there's no miracles there. And then the next one, you know, we know he kills many people. We don't know how many. Right. Certainly a lot. I mean, it's, it's, but it's also, I mean, it, it's significant. It's significant. I don't, but again, you know, it's significant. And, and even if there is some something special, I don't know. Is that enough of a reason if someone starts pulling off some? I, I think they're right. You're right. I think it's interesting, and you're making an interesting point in the sense that I think uh, you know many people would be would say, well, clearly there's something miraculous here. Um, they're also doing what's right and saying that might not be enough to necessarily tell me if you're a good person or not. Um, that might change. We might see a change in their, in their attitude soon, and maybe it's because of just the volume of what happens. Um, but clear, yeah, but it seems like even with them seeing something, either they don't think it's superhuman, or they do, and they're saying, well, that's not necessarily enough to tell me that you're therefore a special person. Well, he's clearly a very unique individual. I mean, he's a Nazar from birth. The prediction about him is that, isn't that he is going to lead the Israelites against the Philistines? He is going to begin how, right. How his many people process. know that? If you recall, the mother didn't even tell the right. Ishmael didn't even tell her husband. But 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 she must have told Shimshon. Probably told Shimshon. That's yes, what we yes, assume. He has, a sense of he has a sense of destiny, and we spoke about I think it was last week that you know the Reb Tzadik suggests that he like looks into the psukim that speak about Shevet Dan and and being that snake again. The snake is doing it by biting the heel, doing it through the back door. Um, so he must know it. But imagine. He gets this message from his mother. His father doesn't even know, and and, she, and he was told from a young age, "Don't tell this to your father." Right? So, but in a sense, it's it's don't tell this to anyone. You don't are, tell. You are correct. Man, uh, you're, you're a man alone. You're al- from exactly, the exactly, you know, exactly. Yes, yes. It also yes. has a messianic aspect. Right? If you think of the, the, the Mashiach being someone, um, I guess contrary to popular belief, that Mashiach, you know, most famous. I think the Mashiach is more like the the Mashiach is among the beggars of Jerusalem. Okay. The okay. Is, okay. It's almost like a lamed vavnik. No one. It's this. It's this person who is the least likely person Suspect, right. is going to be the right. Mashiach kind of thing. Okay. Right. 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 Excellent. And we certainly have again, and even within Malchus based David, you know, Mashiach, all the messianic pieces right. fall into place. Uh, from a very funny place, exactly. you know, whether it's Lot and his daughters, whether it's Yehuda and Tamar, whether it's David and Bathsheba, whether it's Rus and... Or even and, David himself, that when the Navi comes and, and Yishai says, well, here are all my son. No, right, it's, it's that right. Son. It's the, it's so unexpected it's place. It's the unexpected place, right. So that is consistent. Excellent. Okay, <laughs> good. Um, okay. The Yomrlos, they say to him, we came to, that being the case, we came to uh, to imprison you, to tie you up. Excuse me, Pelishtim, to give you over to the Pelishtim. And, and let's read this next line. This is, I think, significant. As, as we try to judge Shimshon. V'yermolem Shimshon. Shimshon says, Yishavu li. Make an oath to me. Pentifkun bi atem. I don't want you. He says, I'm ready. I'm going to come out with my hands up, whatever. But I don't want you. Swear to me that you will not do anything. You want to give me over to the Pelishtim? That's great. But you don't do anything. Why is he so concerned about you not doing anything? He doesn't want them to get hurt. Doesn't want them. Right? Meaning that that's... It's hard to understand that any other way, right? So there's certainly, again, as we're looking for clues, <coughs> that's... What do you mean he doesn't want to get that? Guy meaning if they start attacking him, meaning they have every right, let's, let's they, bring up, the, they the Jews, Yehuda, yeah. Yehuda, right? They have, let, let's just look at it from like an almost modern halachic uh, perspective. You know, the, the cases that are discussed in halacha, if a person is causing harm, not only are you allowed to give them over to the authorities, you're allowed to kill them. If they're, if they're endangering the, the nation for doom, because they did some wrongdoing, you would be allowed to kill them. I'm not suggesting we do that, but yes, that would be allowed to be. So theoretically, they could go ahead and say, well, you're causing us problems. We're going to kill you and just hand you over to the Plishtim. So he's saying, just swear to me, give me over to the Plishtim, just swear to me that you won't touch me, right? So it does seem to be 
uh, an expression of the fact that he doesn't want to harm his fellow Jew, right? There does seem to be some calculation over here. That's not... If you do something to me, I, I have to I defend myself and do something to you. Exactly, right? That's, how, that's, how. That, that, that's what it seems like, right? So, okay. So let's keep on going. We will not kill you. And they tie him in two new ropes, right? New ones are strong. They bring him up from the rock or the cave. Huva and Lechi comes to a place called Lechi. And why they do, they're doing this because they... They're endangered. Is it because they're endangered? They feel like if they go hand in hand, the Pelishtim will... Is that, is, what, is that what you mean? It sounds like the Pelishtim come in and camp against Yehuda. Hand them over. Hand them over, we're attacking you. Correct. So this is self-defense, a justified self-defense, and especially once they hear that this is a personal vendetta, if that's the case... We're not going to go out on the line for you. Um, we're endangered over here, and therefore, we're endangered because the police are going to attack us, and therefore, um, yeah, okay. Um, so, huva lechi, uvlishtim he riu The police basically cry out and greet him, and either there's like this war cry as they come to try, you know, it's rushing towards Shimshon. Vatitzlach alav ruach Hashem. Okay, and we saw this. Every time he gets strong, there is this ruach Hashem that kind of animates him, right? Literally succeeds in him, but there is this animating godly force, okay? The ropes became like flax, which were scorched by fire. And the ropes basically melt from his hand, okay? So basically, it doesn't even sound like he rips them apart. They basically just fall off. Again, this is now the godly force animating him. Tiria, he finds a fresh jawbone of a donkey. He grabs it. And here we finally find a number, and this number is clearly extremely significant. He goes ahead and he kills 1,000 men with this jawbone. Okay, so we've gone from, can we see this as miraculous, to 1,000 people. Yeah, I don't think there's another way around this, right? So he completely, completely defeats all these, the, the people who are coming to, to get him. Um, through this miraculous intervention of God, who animates his, you know, gives him that strength, and he uses a donkey's jawbone to kill him. Okay? Our sages point. Yeah, sorry? What's this all about? Good. Great question. Like, there's a, oh, randomly, like, a donkey, like, jawbone sitting around. What they teach the NRA, like, intro class. Like, what's the best button? <laughs> the one that's, like, right there. Okay. So, like, yeah, that's all you have. So, it is what he had. But we're going to assume, I think, like, Bruce is getting it, like, this can't be coincidence. This cannot be coincidence. But it's interesting, and we'll come back to this soon. The Midrashim say that he made a mistake by using an impure animal. In other words, there's, he should not have used it. He should not have used it. The best weapon in this case, actually, say, just he should have used his hands. He should have held back and just defeated them with his hands, and that's it. So we have to come back to that, like, at the end of the day. That's all he has with him. Why not use an impure animal? But what is the symbolism of, of use, like, why are they harping on the fact that it's an impure animal? Let's think about what we know about donkeys. Let's just keep that in the back of our mind. And I was, yeah, and let's, let's come back to that medrash soon. Let's, let's get through the rest of the story. The Yomer Shimshon. Now, Shimshon says, or sings, Bilchi hachamor, chamor chamorosayim. Right? This is a, a poem, right? With the jawbone of the donkey, I have piled piles. The word chamor means donkeys, uh, donkey, but also chamorim also means piles. So with the jawbone, right? So it's just a play on words. Bilchi hachamor, he cased the elephish. With the jawbone of the donkey, I killed a thousand men. Vayhiki chalos ludaber, as soon as he sp- stops speaking. Vayashlech halachim yado, he throws it from his hand. Vayikra lamakamahu. Ramas Lechi. And he calls the place the elevated place of Lechi. He gives it a new name. 
And now he becomes very parched. Okay? To the point that he thinks, as we'll see, that he thinks he's going to die. Okay? So let's just, we're going to have to pull this whole storyline together, right? Um, so let's just get through reading it. He calls out to God and says, You, God, clearly gave me this great salvation. And now I'm going to die in thirst. And I'm going to fall into the hands of those who are uncircumcised. Okay? Um, okay, let, let, it, let's, let's just analyze this tefillah for one second. What is his argument to God? Why should you save me? What is he saying? It will look bad. It will look bad. It will look bad if, you know, if you're killing, if you're kind of like letting your, the person who just defeated the pollution die, it looks like Hashem, you know, can't handle. It. Sounds like you're saying, who does that, who does that sound like? Good, excellent. It sounds like excellent, Moshe, right? This is, this is basically a power, this is Moshe's legal argument. There's precedent for this argument. Moshe turns to God at the eagle and says, God, you just did these great miracles. Now you're going to kill them? What are they going to say? Right? So basically this very much, which is... Good precedent, right? He's copying Moshe, copying Moshe over here. Um, it's, it's not about him. It's not about his own person. It's not talking about what about me, even though, again, he says, I'm going to follow with the Raylan, but it's in the context of the fact that, God, you gave me this great miracle. It's going to undermine the great miracle you just performed. At this point, it is a great miracle, right? Without a doubt, there is divine intervention at this point. That is, there's no longer any question about that, which there may have been before, right? Um, and so he's saying you're going to undermine the great miracle that you performed, Lama Yemer Mitzrayim, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Why the, you know, why the Polishtim over here are going to think that, you know, that you are incapable or just lose out in the, in the Kiddush Hashem, in the good that came out of this miracle, okay? Now, let's ask a more basic question. Why does he get thirsty? I mean, he could be thirsty, I get it. But uh, any, and did, did, you know, normally... Was it thirsty for water or like to drink like symptoms? Because he like just... What a great battle. Well, let's, let's keep on reading. Again, he's a, he's a Nazir, so he's never had any I mean, things to drink. Vodka, does that count? Good question. He'd have, he'd be a, have to abstain from that. It seems like he would be more streamed than a typical Nazir. Would be a, a stay away from any alcoholic beverage. But let's see, let's see what, he, what he drinks. And let's just keep on reading. But one, according to this, the Stas Sofer, they say that I guess at some medrash that he was being punished. Mm-hmm. That because he did this, maybe that he was being uh, bragging about his success. Excellent. Maybe that goes back to the the little song he sang. Beautiful, that, right? So in that song, yeah. excellent, right? So again, we're going to I think typically we I, assume I, I, Casey didn't sing to God. Exactly. I There's no successful. credit given to God, right? Excellent, right? So the you know. Um, our typical understanding of any biblical narrative is that if there is someone suffering, their normal the assumption that we normally have is that there is a direct reason. Typically, things in the Torah, we don't assume they just happened, right? In our own lives, we could debate, we could discuss that. But if it's going to happen to a biblical character, we're going to assume that there's something that precipitated that, that caused that um, thing. And so over here, if he's thirsty, what, what did he find? What did we read right before that? He's singing this uh, war song, right? And the war song is not, uh, you know, Hashem Yimloch, Lalam Ba'ed, Az Yosher Moshe. It's about him. This is what I did. And there's no mention of God. Right? So what is he, okay, so let's, 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 good, excellent. Let's, 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 let's come back to that in a, in a moment, but let's see what happens. So, God uh, breaks open like the socket um, that's in the jawbone. And water pours forth. Okay, so where's the water come from? <laughs> this is getting more, the, well, the rock, the rock of Moshe, sort of, right? But also from that jawbone they just used to kill the Pelishtim, Water is now coming out. Good message from Hashem. Okay. 
clearly a message from Hashem. I mean, it doesn't get more miraculous than this on, on, on many levels, right? Vatasha Rucha Vayachi, his spirit is revived. Akain Karshma, Ain Hakare, Ashibalachi, Adiyomazat. Okay, he gives a new name for it. Okay. So let's, let's try to just pull some of this together, um, maybe use, pulling upon some of the Midrashim, trying to get a better understanding of this. And I am going to assume, and we'll see why even more so, with that second approach, that Shimshon is not that brute, um, foolish person, but, but there is something a little bit deeper going on over here. And, you know, we pointed out before, there's clearly some symbolism with the donkeys. Okay, let's address that. Also, the Midrashim, which say that there's two possible sins over here. One, he's using an impure animal. B, he's taking personal credits. And I would suggest that perhaps the two actually have what to do with one another, okay? Let's, 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 let's try to understand this like this. What's, what's Shimshon's philosophy? Ultimately, Shimshon's philosophy is what? I mean, there's, there's two levels of Shimshon's philosophy. One is on, on, the, on the strategic level. I'm going to trick the Pelishtim, okay? But if you want to get a little more, and therefore, how am I going to do that? I'm going to infiltrate the Pelishti side. I'm going to intermarry. I'm going to pretend I'm, I'm not really part of the Jewish people. And in that process, I'm going to attack the Pelishtim, okay? On a deeper level, what's he doing? He's essentially lowering himself. He's being mitame himself, we'll call it, for the sake of ultimately saving the Jewish people, right? So he's engaging in impure, inappropriate acts for the sake of saving the Jewish people, right? Which, okay, that, that's what he's doing. I'm married Pelishti. I'm going to do things which are illegal. The Torah does not allow these things. And in doing so, I'm going to ultimately elevate the Jewish people as well. Now, the Midrash, again, what, is, what do we know about donkeys? Aside from the Messianic donkey, we'll hold that on the side. Uh, the donkeys are always depicted as the most, uh, you know, the, the, the term, the, the Kabbalists use the term, you know, the Maharal use the term. The, the, there's two extremes. One is called Tzura, which means form, and one is called Chomer, which means material, okay? The most material of things, most physical of things, is always the donkey, right? When our sages want to say that Yishmael is distinct in a very negative way from uh, the Jewish people, Am Hadome Lechamor. We, we says like, stay here with the donkey, meaning the nation which is like a donkey. The donkey implies the most physical, the least spiritual, right? It represents uh, Rav Yossi, and the Gemara says that uh, some of the sages say, we don't want to be around during Mashiach. Rav Yossi says, I want to be around Mashiach, and I don't care if I even sit in the dung of a donkey. He's saying like, even if it's going to be the most physical, right? The donkey is always depicted as the most physical, least spiritual. It's on the opposite extreme of spirituality. So, Thinking about that, what's Shimshon doing over here? Again, if we're going to see some symbolism over here, there is an impure donkey, right? The donkey, which is impurity, which he is utilizing in his battle, which is what he's constantly doing. Whether it's marrying a Pelishti, right? The symbolism of that is essentially engaging with the Chumriot, essentially engaging with the physical, the material, to elevate, to do God's bidding, to bring about spirituality. And there is some room for that, right? Meaning, ultimately, we are monotheists. Ultimately, we believe that all of good and all of evil, all of purity and all of impurity, ultimately come from one source. But it's a very messianic reality, right? When you start to blur those lines, right, um, it's very challenging. We believe that in the future, there will be this, you know, we'll be able to see beyond the distinction between good and evil. Those distinctions will kind of, the, the wall between those two things will fall away. Right? But in this world, it's very hard to distinguish between those two. For, uh, I'll just give you a, like a historic example of someone who was a messianic figure-ish, who blurred those lines. Who is that? Shabtai Tzvi. What is Shabtai Tzvi's biggest argument? I'm Mashiach. And therefore, 
matir asurim, right? He goes ahead and he makes a blessing. I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat forbidden fats, baruch Hashem alokeinu melech who permits that that's forbidden. Because in the Messianic era, it's meaningless. All of that that was forbidden is going to be permitted because we're going to see God, the one God, who is both good and is the source of evil as well. And all those divisions are just due to our limitations. Shimshon is touching upon that on some level, right? I'm engaging in the impure for the sake of pure. And again, there is some room for that. But if he goes ahead and allows a sense of, well, let me say this a little differently. The only way to engage in that reality is, I guess, what, what some more modern people would call what we call in odmavado, essentially saying, there is no physical world. I'm able to transcend all that. I only see the spiritual, right? I have to, if I'm able to see beyond this world, then yes, it's true. At the tippy top, there's no difference between good and evil. There's no difference between pure and impure. But the second I see a physical world, I see myself, and I don't just see God, then all of that falls apart. Right? So Shimshon, on the one hand, used the impure animal. In and of itself, that, there's validity to that. Because, and again, especially if he is somewhat of a messianic figure, I'm sorry, we're getting a little more Kabbalistic than we normally do. But the second he brings himself into the mix, I killed the Pelishtim, all that comes crumbling down. And therefore, using the impurity is completely unallowed. If he is truly able to be transcend, if he's able to transcend all desire, which some of the more mystically inclined commentators suggest he really was able to do. If he's really able to go into the depths of impurity and not be impacted by it whatsoever because he lives on that really high level, cool. But the second he betrays that by being personal, by allowing his ego to play a role, then he is unworthy of that and it's a problem. And therefore, ultimately, those Midrashim are complementing each other and therefore God punishes him, right? Now, what ends up happening? He ends up doing tshuva. Right? God, what is, what is the statement? The statement is, you, God, save me. Right? What is the terminology that he uses? He says, you, God, are the one. He doesn't say, you did this great shua. Right? He changes his tune. He's no longer claiming victory on his own. He says, you, God, did all of this, etc., etc. Right? So it's absolute tshuva. He's able to change what he did wrong. And what do we know about tshuva? That the bad is able to transform to good. So the source of the sin is actually going to be the source of his salvation, right? That's why that thing which is impure now becomes the source of really his ultimate sin. He's not really like giving thanks to God. He's like <laughs> hedging his bets because he's like, he's, he's worried that something bad's about to happen to him. And he's like, oh, you're going to like so, take me out to the desert to die, you know, like that kind of thing. Okay, so we could be skeptical of how sincere he is, right? It's, you know, they're, they're, you know, when a person's begging for their life, you have to wonder. But clearly God reciprocated, which seems like, okay. seems like it was legit. Seems like it was legit. Um, so we, that interpretation would allow you to like rethink Pasuk Tazayim, his, his, what he said, that little tone. It's, it's not just, uh, it's not just the fact he doesn't mention God, but it's almost like he is celebrating this material. Okay, I wasn't saying it that way, but I hear what you're saying. In other words, it's not just meaning. I'm not saying it's good or bad, but it's, it kind of like fits in very well with what you're saying. Is he saying? It's specifically through the chamar, meaning specifically through the chamar. Right. 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 I mean, he's deliberately focused, celebrating the fact that we're able to use the impure to, yeah. to bring about the miraculous. Interesting. 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 I, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Okay, we're gonna stop here because this next we're gonna read the next pasuk, which is a pasuk which needs a lot of explaining to me. The Yishvo, that, That's the end of the story, right? Some great miracle happens, and now again, here's this ambiguous figure. Two minutes ago, Yehuda was about to give him over to be killed by the Belishdim. Vayishpot es Yisrael v'me Pelishtim Esrim Shana. 
and he becomes the leader of the free world. He becomes the leader of the Jewish people, right? I don't, not just a leader, I just want to focus. A shof, the term is not a light term, and the term shofate is a very lofty term. Okay? Um, so, like, there's this incredible 360. Now, again, maybe to your point before, this last battle was clearly miraculous, right? And if anyone was watching from a distance, okay, there's clearly a lot there. Um, so maybe that just turned the tide. But we also have to ask ourselves if, if it really did fine. Now they see him for who he really Who's is. Charge? Nobody. Are the Polishtim in charge? Or are the the Polishtim are the more dominant force. It's we don't have a... Okay. The Polishtim are certainly more dominant. Be Polishtim meaning... The, an, an excellent point, right? The Polishtim are, are certainly powerful. But at this point, the Jewish people, even though for a while they didn't have a judge, now they have some semblance of power, some semblance of their own inner... Excuse me, authority, uh, which comes about through Shimshon. So we'll have to come back to this and just try to get a sense of what just happened over here? Did, did Shimshon's whole facade just fall away now? And, you know, now they're like, oh, I guess you are a tzaddik. Okay, you'll be our leader. <laughs> which means that, which, which could be, right? We'll have, we'll have to think about the consequences of that. Um, it could be that, well, he's just very powerful and the Jewish people are not in a good place. And they're like, well, he's our mighty warrior, so we're just going to put him in power and ignore everything I said about the term shofate. That's, that's also a possibility. And that it's not an expression of his spiritual greatness. It's just that, well, he, he's being... Yeah. They grab, you know, he's a powerful person. There's a power vacuum over here, and he's probably a good person to intimidate the Polishtim, clearly. So we'll just have him over here. But it's not a, it's not a testimony to spiritual uh, power. So let's revisit those two ideas. Again, not next week. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, but the week after, we will revisit that.